The reading today comes to us from the book of 1 Corinthians. Glory to you, O Lord. Corinthians chapter 1. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. For us preachers, we often try to avoid 1 Corinthians because it is difficult. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, lays out the theology that all Christians must, some way, some shape, or form, learn to understand in order to know exactly what it is that we profess. So we preachers often run away from 1 Corinthians. But I will also say today, on this fourth Sunday after Epiphany, um, as Jerry read for us today, we have the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, in which we preachers also run away as fast as we can. Amen? You guys can't even say amen, because you don't know why we preachers run from it. We run from it because, A, in one shape or form, it shows up more than one occasion throughout the year. So at some point, you're going to get the Beatitudes. But secondly, and probably most importantly, when we read it and when we strive to preach from it, the thing that is only ever heard from most people is that I'm supposed to walk away feeling bad because I'm maybe not the meek or the peacemaker or the lowly, or I'm going to change my life, I'm going to make myself worthless, I'm going to be, make myself weak, I'm going to make myself the meek, which none of us know how to do because our culture does not advocate any of that. Amen? And so what we do is we reduce it mentally to something we need to do to be right with God, something that we cannot do, and something that we are, is completely misunderstood because when it's all said and done, it's Christ identifying who God is going to lift up to give them a chance to give them value and worth in this world. So that's the end of Matthew Gospel for you this morning. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians, which actually ties to the Beatitudes quite eloquently. We're going to go back to the beginning of our text, 1 Corinthians, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those 
who are perishing. What does that mean, pastor, those who are perishing? To be blunt in Paul's words, to those who are not saved, to those who are misguided, to those who are listening to false gospels, for those who are not a part of the church. Paul is blunt, and so I'm going to be blunt today as well. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. I will do away with the foolishness of the wise, and to those who are intelligent, I will frustrate. Well, if you've gone to a Bible study, you probably walked away a little frustrated and feeling a little less intelligent. Amen? So the God is doing what God is supposed to do. What Paul is actually doing, Paul, we, see, we have to understand that Paul was a master of debating. Paul was the chief, one of the chief Pharisees of his time. But not only was he a chief Pharisee in knowledge, he took it and had the blood on his own hands. So Paul, when Paul is speaking here, he's speaking in and of his own being as well. Paul is talking about, in fact, he's using rhetoric, the I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. He's actually taking the words directly out of Isaiah 29. Right out of Isaiah 29, which is hundreds of years before Jesus is on the earth, the prophet Isaiah declares that God is going to take away the wisdom and the intelligence that you think you have and the ability that you think you need to save yourself. And he's going to thwart it with who? The Messiah. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ himself. And now Paul, being the apostle that he is, being the theologian that gives us our theology within a couple decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, he now is speaking truth to that Christ-crucified death on the cross and how it is indeed a stumbling block for the wisdom of the world. Where is the wise man, Paul says? Where are those philosophers, he's asking? Where is the scholar? For, the, for Paul's time, that was the Jews themselves. Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. When I was a youth, <clears throat> I was born October 23rd, 1983. I was born to an awesome mother and an awesome father. They drove me crazy. Why? Because they had expectations that never seemed to be met. Not on their own doing, but on mine doing as well. They were both, Air Force, both in the Air Force. My mother was rural Minnesota. My father was Brooklyn, New York. Somehow the Air Force and God do miraculous things. Amen? It's called Offutt Air Force Base, where love is had and Pastor Craig is born. Not with the title Pastor. <laughs> Growing up in our household, there were expectations. And there was this expectation that my sister and I were going to grow up to be successful. 
and successful in our home started with learning how to make the bed. Amen? If you aren't teaching your kid how to make their bed, which I'm probably failing too, we did this thing called bunk lofts, stupidest idea in the world. Uh, my daughters can't climb into the, oh, never mind, not going to go there. <clears throat> Making the bed, it started there. Cleaning the house with chores, it continued there. In fact, oftentimes my friends, they'd call up, hey, Craig, we're going to go play some street hockey. Do you want to come out? Yeah, but I got to get my chores done. What the hell do you have chores to do? You have the cleanest house we've ever been in. Yeah, go take it up with Mother Gail, right? The expectations were somewhat high, but now as a father and as a husband, it makes sense. Amen? It makes sense. But that translated into different messages. I don't think there's a parent on this earth. Ah, correction. We live in a unique time. Most parents, most parents, most faithful parents that love their children want their children to be better than they could ever be. Amen? And that comes with a teaching of what it means to be successful, to be right, to be well. But I will also say in the 1980s and 90s, there was also this new cultural uh, identity of what it also means to be successful. My parents were giving one aspect of the definition, but so was the culture. <clears throat> and that culture came in the form of mass media, that, uh, that culture came in the form of news, when it used to be news, but started transitioning to storytelling. When uh, that was also a time in which we had magazines, believe it or not, writ written material. And every commercial on TV was also defining what it means to be healthy, well, sexy, and all of these things. And also what was meant to be successful was what? Money and lots of it. My generation was one of the first generations that you had to go to college if you are going to make anything of yourself. And that, too, this day is being tested, being pushed. My senior year was 9-11. Because I was a successful athlete in hockey and baseball, because I was a successful musician and a very good student, I had opportunities for college, right? That's where you get your money, your success, your degrees. That's what's being taught. And at the same time, I had the military calling, recruiters calling with very unique opportunities and positions. And my mother played her cards right, and I went the academic route instead of the military route. Success for my generation was to be the knight in shining armor and a hero of sorts. Success was to be a healthy hero. Success is to make lots of money. And so while I was at college, there was one thing I was halfway decent at, and that was having my teeth fixed in straight. I know, that seems like a really weird segue. <clears throat> I was my orthodontist's hardest patient growing up, and so in one hand I thought, you know what, I'm going to go the academic route, I'm going to be a dentist. In fact, I'm going to be an orthodontist, right? I'm going to be an orthodontist, and I thought to myself, I'm going to give back to all those crooked teeth in the world. No, let's be honest. The orthodontist son would always come asking dad for money when I was ever in the chair and they were wrenching on my teeth. And the son came in with the brand new uh, shiny Escalade, which a 16-year-old needs. But deep down in my mind, I thought, we need that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have that ability. And then, of course, over lunch one day, my parents said, can you really look in mouths for 30 years? Somehow, someway, God called us off to be a preacher. Called us off to be a pastor. For some reason, God called me, sent me off to school to preach about the cross, which is foolishness. 
to the world. Amen? Foolishness to the world. What my job and vocation is to do is to speak about a dead man on a cross. And you're supposed to believe it, endure it, sink it in, and find peace in it. But that is not what the world tells us. Instead, the world is talking about the wisdom that Paul speaks about. Instead, the, the world is teaching us about being the scholars and that you're going to come up with the answers. Well, last I checked, every time that humanity tries to find the answers, it leads to a thing called the Tower of Babel. Every time humanity thinks that they have the wisdom beyond God, it is that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Every time humanity thinks that they have a better opportunity, a more godly, self-declared, divine opportunity, it leads to Micah's first reading that Jerry read to us, in which the prophet says, Am I to sacrifice my firstborn child? Am I to give the fruit of the womb to appease you, Lord? That is our human wisdom that is corrupt, crooked, and misleading over and over and over again. God sees it every day. He sees humanity thinking that we know better than he does. How do I know? I don't know. Were you guys around during COVID? Everyone was right, amen? And everyone was wrong, amen? And we hated each other over it. We couldn't open the doors enough and we couldn't close them fast enough. We were damned if we do and damned if we don't. Why? because of interpretations of what God says you're supposed to do and what it means to actually love the person next to you. Humanity is never going to nail it on the head. Instead, we, instead what we desperately need is a Savior. We need a Savior that's going to correct no matter what we come up with in the, on this earth so that we have a chance for real life, new life, true life. A life worth living and not to point you guys out, but Deb Whitlock's family is with us this morning. We will be celebrating Deb's life tomorrow in which we remember that resurrection promise that death is not the final answer. And that comes to us through that stumbling block called the cross. We come back to verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I took my wife's book this week. It's the book a lot of the ladies are working through in her book study on Thursday nights. And I found this section with quotes. The author of this book is criticizing the quotes of other modern Christian theologians. Because, believe it or not, even in the Christian church, it's the Christian church, <clears throat> excuse me, in our culture, that's going to collapse itself. It's not the atheists of the world that are going to collapse the American church. Not at all. It's going to be the Christian church itself that tries to break apart the Christian church. How do I know that? How do I know that wisdom and knowledge is more important than faith in God? Have you heard of a thing called denominations? Amen? We got the Catholics, we got the Lutherans, we got the Episcopalians, we got the uh, Presbyterians, we've got the Methodists, we've got the, and I'm just naming the main lions. We're putting wisdom ahead of the cross. And this is where we get, I'm going to ruffle some feathers because I know some of you like reading Rachel, or Rachel Hollis and Glennon Doyle. No offense. You could probably read some of Pastor Craig's stuff once in a while and tilt your head to the sideways and say, I don't know, 
pastor, I give you permission to do it because I'm not perfect either. But I'm going to give you a couple quotes that are more focused on knowledge and wisdom in the self than they are on Christ crucified. Rachel Hollis says this, you are meant to be the hero of your own story. Good luck with that one. I am willing to be the villain in someone else's story if it means I can be the hero of my own. Again, looking at herself. Glennon Doyle says, we do not need more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. By the way, when I say women here, these are women speaking to women. You can insert man there, it would be the same argument. What we need are women and men who are full of themselves, she says. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. She, re she lets the rest burn. Rachel Hollis says, you should be the very first of your priorities. Glennon Doyle, I'm going to leave you with this one. Glennon Doyle is a modern Christian leader in American church culture right now that divorced her husband, left all of her children because she was too strapped down. And she wanted to start all over. And this is her quote she said after starting over. What a terrible burden for children to bear, to know that they are the reason their mother stopped living. What a terrible burden for our daughters to bear, to know that if they choose to become mothers, this will be their fate too. Carl Jung suggested, by the way, he's a heretic, <clears throat> there is no greater burden on the child than the unlived life of a parent. I would never again settle for a relationship or life less beautiful than the one I'd want for my child. I divorced my husband because I am a mother and I have responsibility. If that's the truth we're listening to, a truth that makes your personal feelings, your personal wisdom greater than God's, then I dare say we are mocking the cross of Christ. We mock the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want to know what God is doing for you, and if you want to know where God's wisdom starts, it starts at the foot of the cross. It does not start in your personal feelings. It does not start in your degrees even. Yes, we are called into vocations. Yes, we are each called into a purpose. But that purpose is to care for that neighbor and to bring them to that cross and to help them hear the words, you need mercy, in which we say, thank you, Lord. It's at the cross where even there the Pharisees and the Sadducees stand mocking the Lord, seeking that miracle. If only he'd come off the cross, again, they're missing what God is doing. Their Messiah, that messianic promise, all of those miracles were right there in front of them the whole time. And they still missed the mark. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is never about us and whether we know enough, feel enough, believe enough. It's all about Christ and what he does for us through that cross. I will leave you with this. A couple weeks ago, I was home in Sioux Falls. I was there for a preaching conference in which I got to hear a lot of great preachers talk about the cross. And I was home in my parents' basement one evening. I was talking to my mother. She was folding some laundry. Haven't had, that haven't had a conversation like that with her in a very long time. And I looked over, and on the shelf in their basement is a broken clock, and then also this Black Panther lamp-like thing. It was ugly. It was weird. It was weird. 
And I said, Mom, um, what are those things again? They look familiar, but I don't, I, what is that? And she said, oh, that Black Panther thing, that, that was a lamp that my brother David had ever since he was a young teenager. And after he died, you know, we were going through the stuff, and, and uh, your aunt wanted me to have David's lamp. I said, oh, sorry I called it ugly. And she smiled. She goes, no, it's ugly. <laughs> she said, but that's, that's what I have of my brother. And she said, the clock, she said, you remember sitting on top of Grandpa and Grandma's TV, there was that, there was that old cuckoo clock. And I said, yeah. And, I, and she goes, that's the clock. She said it fell and it broke. And now that your dad's uh, retired, he's, he's thinking of going on YouTube and trying to figure out how to put this clock back together. If you can do that on YouTube, YouTube is amazing. She said, so that's, that's Grandpa's clock. And I said, huh. I said, Mom, it's kind of fascinating that after two decades of life, or I should say two decades since their life deceased, were reduced to a clock and a lamp. My father, my grandfather, was one of the wisest people I knew. Wisdom is still going to be a stumbling block. You can have all the knowledge, all the life experience, all the personal truth in the world. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to hold weight is that death on a cross. Because when I'm reduced to a lamp, or a clock, or a truck, well, I pick the cross, and I hope you do as well. Thanks be to God. Amen.